Hello, this is Frank Falvey with Frank Presents. And today I have the pleasure of having Karen Graposo with us. Uh, Karen is in the diabetic uh, diabetes area. Karen, can you tell us what you do? Yes, um, I'm a registered nurse and I work at Milford Regional Physician Group in diabetes education, also affiliated with Milford Regional Medical Center. Um, I am honored to work with a, a great group. Uh, we have two endocrinologists, which are diabetes doctors. I have um, a, another um, nutritionist, and I have some other registered nurses. And our goal is to support patients that have diabetes. And I need to say that you have an outstanding uh, doctor, Dr. Mulcahy, that my wife and I have been seeing uh, for years, and he is simply in my opinion, one of the uh, most overall, and especially in the area of diabetes, uh, just a wonderful gentleman and just an outstanding uh, medical physician. Yes, he's very good. We're very lucky to have him. Um, he's also a great colleague to work with. Oh, I'm sure. I'm Patients sure. love him. Could you explain to our audience, first of all, what is diabetes? That's an excellent question. Um, I feel like a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of myths about diabetes, so a lot of people feel like diabetes is something that they did to themselves. Um, and this is not true. Uh, we always think of diabetes as being a sugar problem, but diabetes is really an insulin problem. So our body is made up of millions of little cells, and for our cells to function, our body needs sugar. Sugar is like our fuel source. But in order for our sugar to get into our cells to make energy, we need insulin. So I like to think of diabetes as an insulin problem. Now there's two types of diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an immune system problem, where the body's immune system attacks the cells that make insulin. So this person makes no insulin at all. So if you don't make insulin, then you don't have a key to get the sugar into the cells. Most people have type 2 diabetes, and type 2 diabetes is an insulin resistance problem. So what that means is, is this person makes insulin, but their cells aren't sensitive to the insulin. So if the insulin is not being used or not attaching to the cell, then the sugar can't get into the cell and the sugar builds up in the bloodstream. Okay, so again, diabetes isn't a sugar problem, it's an insulin problem not allowing the sugar to get into the cells to make energy, which in turn will cause the sugar to build up in your bloodstream. So it's the sugar, it, it needs to be converted into the cell to give you that energy. Correct. My understanding has been that you would begin with type 2 diabetes and then move to type 1, is that a misconception too? That is a misconception, because um, again, type 1 was that person had an immune system problem, so that that body no longer makes insulin, and that person would need to inject insulin pretty much right from day 1 when they get diagnosed. Where type 2 diabetes, most people with type 2 diabetes still make some insulin, and some people even make enough insulin. They're just not using it appropriately. Their body is resistant to it. So it's more of an insulin resistance 
problem. Now that person with type 2 diabetes, if you have it for a long time, your body tries to make more and more and more insulin as it's trying to help you. And eventually, if we don't do anything about high blood sugars, our pancreas can start to burn itself out. So there are plenty of people that have type 2 diabetes that eventually might need help with shots of insulin. Why, what, what happens, you're 40 years of age, 45, and all of a sudden you're diagnosed with diabetes. What has changed in your body or changed over the years? I mean, for 40 years your body was working fine, and then you find out that you have type 2 diabetes. So with type 2 diabetes, there's usually genetic links to that. Um, so usually family members also have diabetes. Now years ago, we didn't check everybody like we do today. Um, so if someone says, I have no diabetes in my family, my next question is, how about heart disease? Because heart attacks, strokes, heart disease, those tend to be um, common things that we see in people that have diabetes. So years ago when we didn't test everybody like we do today, people may have had diabetes and not even known that they've had it. With type two. Yeah, but but what is it that you're, you're, you're fine for a number of years, what changes in your body to, to cause the diabetes? It's just triggered in your genetics. You just get to a certain point where now the body is a little bit more resistant to insulin. There are some things that help your cells be more receptive to insulin, and there's certain things in our bodies that help us be less receptive to insulin, um, but genetics plays a big part in that. Um, so a lot of times when people are younger, they might be more active, and the more active we are, that helps our cells be more sensitive to insulin. So sometimes as people age, we tend to get busy, we tend to get a little bit less active, so that kind of um, increases our insulin resistance. Now that being said, we have seen type 2 diabetes in children, which we never saw years and years ago, um, and that's because kids are getting less active. Um, so that is, can, you know. Is, it, is the activity more important or is it more important how much sugar uh, that you're eating or taking in? Well, eating sugar doesn't cause diabetes um, because somebody that doesn't have diabetes, if they eat extra sugar, their body will just process it. But I, if I happen to have diabetes and I eat a lot of sugar all at one time, it's gonna be hard for my body to break that down. So that's another myth. People think if you eat too much sugar, it will cause diabetes. It really doesn't. But if I happen to have diabetes, then too much sugar will uh, be hard for me to break down. The, the, uh, the way you test for diabetes, uh, uh, um, once you, you determine that uh, it's determined you have it, uh, is by monitors and, and either uh, pricking the skin uh, but it's testing the blood, and could you explain how the test of work works today uh, to monitor the levels and, and what level, what's a normal level and what's a high or low level? Okay. So normal blood sugars are 80 to 120 if you read a, a textbook. Um, but I usually tell people to talk to their provider and get some customized um, goals for them specifically, because everybody's a little bit different. Um, and somebody who's taking medications that may cause blood sugars to go too low, we want to make sure that we're not making that person's blood sugars 
too tight um, or too close to the normal range, because then we run the risk of low blood sugar reactions. And a low blood sugar reaction can cause you to become dizzy or lightheaded or um, sometimes even pass out. So we don't want to put somebody at those types of risks. You know when you have low blood sugar. I mean, there are, there are, as you say, symptoms that your body can tell you almost that you have low blood sugar. But you never know you have high blood sugar. Well, everybody's different. So oh. some people don't feel low blood sugar. Really? Yeah, until they're really low and it might be, you know, hard to get that blood sugar up quickly. Same thing with high blood sugar. Some people don't feel any different with high blood sugar. And some people do have symptoms. Some people feel very tired when their blood sugar is high because their cells aren't getting any energy that it needs. Um, some people have frequent urination. So they're, you know, their body's trying to get rid of that excess sugar and it can't put it into the cells, so it puts it into the urinary system. So that person will say, I'm peeing all the time. I can't sleep at night because I have to keep getting up to go to the bathroom. This also dries them out and makes them very thirsty. So um, they may have increased thirst with high blood sugars as well. Um, so that's high blood sugar. Low blood sugar can have some of the same symptoms. Um, I can get very weak if I don't have enough blood sugar. I can have um, you know, dizziness, lightheadedness, blurry vision, and it comes on all of a sudden. Some people get a headache. Um, so, so like I said, some people have no symptoms at all, but some people feel really sick if their blood sugars go high or low. Um, so I highly recommend the monitors today and not just going by how somebody feels. Because if you've had diabetes for a long time, sometimes we lose some of those symptoms. And we might not necessarily feel highs and lows. So by using a monitor, whether it's like you talked about, the type that you pick your finger to get the blood sugar, or some of the newer monitors, they have um, sensors that can go on the skin that are either scanned or can go to like a reader or a cell phone, and they tell you what your blood sugar is every five minutes, and it will alarm at you if you're having a preset low or a preset high blood sugar, that you tell it, like, if my blood sugar is less than 70, I would like you to, to beep at me. Um, most of these newer machines that are out will, you can't shut off if you're less than 55, it will also beep at you as kind of like an emergency low. Less than 70 is low, but less than 50 would be considered a critical low. And uh, is, this is new technology. Did I, how, how long has this been uh, available? I would say about 10 years, but they have improved on the systems. Um, so now the FDA does um, approve that you can actually give medication and insulin based on a glucose sensor. And is this covered by Medicare or normal insurance? It is. Um, Medicare and Medicaid, which would be like a mass health, they do have some um, prior rules um, for coverage. So they do want to make sure that you're on insulin at least three times a day and that you use three the times a day. Three times a day and that you use that information to make adjustments on your insulin. Um, but most commercial insurances are now covering it. It's and, on a case-by-case case basis. But at that level, I mean, no, normally, uh, a normal person taking insulin, am I correct, would not be normally taking it three times a day? 
well, there's a couple of different types of insulin. There's long-acting insulin, which is usually once a day, and then there's mealtime insulin, and mealtime insulin only lasts for four hours. So you typically need to take that with every meal. So under the current guidelines, Medicare and Medicaid are saying that they want you basically to be on the mealtime insulin and adjusting that mealtime insulin and saying that that's why you would need to be testing so frequently. Uh, I understand. I'm hoping that those rules change because I think it's just such good technology and I think that people tend to do better when they're using it because they're not only able to see their blood sugar but it gives you an arrow to let you know which direction your blood sugars are going. So sometimes when people are eating a meal they might scan and see their blood sugar and they might say, oh my blood sugar is already a little on the higher side, I might eat something that's a little lower in sugar or carbohydrate. Um, or I might scan and see that my blood sugar is a little on the lower side, so I may want to add a little extra carbohydrate to my meal. So I think even if you're not on insulin, it helps you decide kind of which direction you want to go with uh, what you're going to take in as far as sugar is concerned. Okay. Now, insulin um, helps process the sugar into the cell? Yes. So the the insulin would... Uh, tend to increase the sugar level in the cells? Well, it's going to take it out of the bloodstream. Take it out of the bloodstream and put it in... And put it in the cells to uh, make energy. To make energy. So if you take too much insulin, you're taking too much sugar out of the bloodstream. Correct. Which means then you have low readings. Yes. And And so then if you've taken too much insulin, then you have to have sugar to offset that. Correct. If you don't take enough insulin, then you, you don't want to take sugar. Correct. Could you cover some of the effects of diabetes? In other words, I'm somewhat familiar that every year I have my eyes tested to see if I have any diabetes in my eyes, and I'm familiar with neuropathy on the feet. Can you explain what, what some of the effects are of diabetes? Sure. Um, so if my blood sugars are on the higher side, I like to compare it to if you've ever added too much sugar to a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and you can kind of scrape it up with a spoon and see that high blood sugar or see that thick sugar that comes down, that same thing happens in our bloodstream. So if, if your blood sugars are high for an extended period of time, it's just like sandpaper. It starts to wear away at your vessels. And your vessels feed your whole body. So if your diabetes is uncontrolled for an extended period of time, it can harm most of your organs. So that blood is going to go through your eyes, your heart, your kidneys, your feet, your big toe, pretty much anywhere that blood flows. So the number one complication of diabetes is heart disease. So that would be heart attacks, strokes, things of that nature. And that's because that heart has to pump that sugar through your whole body. Okay. Now you have to have um, invasive procedures to see what's going on in your heart. So I like to strongly recommend that people have the, a dilated eye exam at least once a year because I look at the eyes as the window to the body. The eye doctor can dilate the eyes and see those vessels and they're going to notice damage even before you have any symptoms. And that's truly what you want to do is find things early. 
If we find things early, then there's wonderful treatments. If we find it late, it's a lot harder to treat. So I, what I hear you saying is the eyes might be the first symptom of problems with the heart. Well, a lot of times if people have issues in one organ, there may be issues in other organs as well. Because that same blood that's running through our eyes is also going to run through your kidneys and your feet and all of your other major organs as well. So the Diabetes Association recommends having a dilated eye exam every year just to kind of get an idea of the vessel health. So a lot of people think it's looking at their vision, but really it's looking at the back of the eye and looking for something called retinopathy. Um, which retinopathy. Would be a retinopathy, which would be a bleeding in the back of the eye. What does the sugar do to the heart? Does it wear away the tissues or? It wears away at the vessels. So you can have death to you know, portions of the heart muscle. So it can cause heart attacks, strokes, things of that, cause high blood pressure. So when, I, when we say wear away, it, it eliminates maybe a, a layer of vessel or something? Uh, not directly, but what it does is um, it gets hard and you have cholesterol and sugar that run through your bloodstream together. So if I have high, high blood sugar and I have higher cholesterol, it's all going to go together and then my heart has to work really hard to pump that, which is going to increase my blood pressure as well. So a lot of people that have diabetes have something that they call metabolic syndrome, which is high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and high sugar all together. Wow. And if you have that for an extended period of time, high cholesterol in the heart, it starts to harden away at your vessels and cause damage to your vessels in various ways. You know, whether it be, mm -hmm. like I said, um, stroke, or heart attack, which is not enough blood flow to an area of the heart, which then deadens the muscle. Can you talk about neuropathy of the feet? So for our feet, when we're close to our heart, our vessels are nice and big. But as we get all the way down to our feet, the vessels get small. So that's kind of the last place that gets blood flow um, in our body. So what will happen is, as the blood goes down to the feet, if I have high blood sugar, it's damaging the nerves. So what neuropathy is, is actually nerve damage in the feet. I'm not getting as good a blood flow to those nerves. The nerves tend to die off. Neuropathy starts as like a numbness and tingling. So people will say, I can't feel my feet. So when you go in to see your, um, your health care provider, they should look at your feet. They should use um, a little either a tuning fork or a monofilament to see if you're having any feeling in the bottoms of your feet. Um, because sometimes we can step on something and not even realize that we've stepped on something. And if I'm not getting as good a blood flow to my foot and any place that's warm, moist, and sweet, which if I have diabetes, I would have a sweet bloodstream, that's a great medium for bacteria to grow. So I might step on something and that foot might not heal. And unless I'm looking at the bottom of that foot every day, I might not even feel or notice that I have an open area there. So the biggest thing that we worry about on the feet is open areas that don't heal that can lead to amputation. Wow. Okay. wow. But a lot of people uh, do come to see us because of their foot pain which is you know, the neuropathy, those nerves, they're unable to, to feel. So sometimes they have falls because they're not feeling their footing. On the ground. On the ground. They're not, when they're walking, they don't have a sense of the feel of the ground. Yes, yeah, so that can lead to falls, um, yeah. which, which isn't good. Um, and then, like I said, they can lead to the open areas, um, and it can um, eventually lead to pain, yeah. which is a lot harder to, to treat. In the toes. In I, the toes and the feet. Yeah. 
Does the same thing happen with hands? No, because our hands are closer to our heart. So we don't tend to see that same type of um, pain that we do in our feet. Are there other, are other organs that are susceptible to uh, diabetes? Yep, kidneys are another big one and that what we happens see. There? Um, again, those high blood sugars are going through the kidney and they start to wear away these tiny little filters that are in the kidneys. Um, so when you have diabetes, you should see your um, healthcare provider at least once a year and they will check um, some labs and some urine um, to see how your kidneys are functioning. In other organs? Um, sexual organs is another place because again, it's a blood flow thing. Okay. You know, so some people will have erectile dysfunction, um, you know, loss of sensation uh -huh. in those areas. Wow. The, one of the measurements I keep hearing about is called an A1C, which is a three-month measurement of your blood sugar. Can you explain what an A1C is and uh, what the range of uh, readings might be? Yep, so an A1C um, looks at dead, is a lab test that looks at dead blood cells. So every day, dead you, ones. they look at dead ones. <laughs> so every day your body makes brand new red blood cells and they live with you for three months. And during that time, sugar and stuff sticks to those blood cells. So the lab can take a sample of the blood and they magnify it many times and scientific procedure that they do, but they're able to see that those cells that have lived with you for three months that are just dying off, how much sugar is stuck to them. Now, a normal A1C is less than 5.8. Less than 5.8? Less than 5.8. If you're between 5.8 and 6.4, that's considered pre-diabetes. But once you've had a, a sugar that, or an A1C that's 6.5 or greater, that would give you a diagnosis of diabetes, according to the American Diabetes Association. Now, somebody that has diabetes is considered to be in good control if they keep their A1C less than seven. So seven is kind of that magic number. And what is the absolute, what, well, I, I heard a doctor explain that, you know, I can keep giving you insulin and increasing the insulin if you keep uh, having a higher sugar. Um, but that's not, whatever damage is done to your body through diabetes can't be uh, reversed. It, it, it's not damage that you can uh, change and, and have go back. Is, is that correct? Once, once you've experienced some damage, the, it's only, you can only be treated to keep that same level. You can't reverse the damage. They, they were saying that, um, but they have found, um, like in the case of neuropathy, we recommend getting your blood sugars down in, you know, as close to the normal range as you possibly can. And they have found that there has been some regeneration. Um, so they say a good year of good blood sugars will really kind of tell you how much you're going to get back. Now, definitely prevention is the key. Um, if you have a lot of damage to your eyes, a lot of bleeding in the back of the eye, um, they have treatments like lasers that can stop more blood from happening and they can do different procedures that kind of help bring some of that, you know, blood from the eye, but it's never going to go back to what it was. Um, so that's why they say if you're going every year and if it's, it's caught as it's starting to happen, they can treat it at that point in time. 
But if one day you wake up and you can't see, it's a lot harder to treat if they can treat it at all. If they can treat it. So one of the things with diabetes, I gather, is uh, eating well. What, what, if someone has diabetes, what should they be eating and, and what role does sugar play in, uh, in, in, uh, if you're having cake and ice cream and uh, sodas and uh, th that is pretty dangerous in a sense of where you're going to go with your diabetes. Yeah, I feel like there is um, a lot of stigma around food. Um, and, you know, a lot oh, of people okay. think, like, if you have diabetes, you can never eat a cookie. Um, and that's not true. Um, it's really about well-balanced eating, which really is how everybody should eat. Um, a whole sleeve of cookies isn't good for really anybody. Um, but having a couple of cookies it can be um, put into a meal plan, um, whether you have diabetes or not. Um, this is another way that I think that using the monitors is really helpful um, because everybody is not the same. We can have five people with diabetes, we can all eat the same meal, and two hours later we're going to get different readings, different blood sugars. So we all might have diabetes, but I might have trouble breaking down bread, and you might have trouble breaking down pastas. Um, so we'll kind of you know, find the things that affect us, and I'll know that mm, I want to probably go lighter on the bread, and you probably want to go lighter on the pasta. But I might find that if I exercise and I eat bread, then my body breaks it down a little bit easier. So it's really finding out about me and finding out about, you know, eating well-balanced and not doing, overdoing any one thing. Um, so I strongly recommend meeting with a dietitian um, to really figure out what works for me and what, what doesn't work for me. This is where we seem to come to willpower. <laughs> <laughs> or, it's hard. Or we come to a point that um, maybe there's some food or something in front of us or something that we like and maybe we know it's not going to have a good effect on us, but we go ahead and eat it anyways. How, how do you uh, work with people on uh, the ability to uh, control their eating habits? I mean, I would think the willpower, uh, is that a, a, a key element of, of uh, good dieting, or and how do you develop that? Yeah, I um, try to avoid the word diet, because I think diet you know, always tells me I can't have something, I can only have this. Um, and I think that you know, kind of wears away on our willpower. Anytime you say you can't have something, it only makes you want it more. You know? um, so I think eating well-balanced is good, watching portions is good and we work with people to figure out what is their goal if somebody tells me you know Karen I love ice cream well then I'm not gonna say you should never have ice cream I'm gonna say okay let's find some that you like because not all ice cream is created equal so we want to look at portions we want to look at what tastes good because there's lots of things on the market that don't taste good um, so if I'm on a diet and I'm eating something that isn't really good I might do that for a little while, but talking about willpower, I'm not going to stick with something that I'm not enjoying. So I want to find something that is going to be um, similar to my ice cream that's already portioned out, 
Um, like rather than having my ice cream out of a half gallon where I have to scoop out my portion, if I have something on a stick like a fudgicle, that's already portioned out. A portion of ice cream is a half a cup. That's not very much. But if I have something on a stick, I'm going to get that whole treat, and that might be a good option for me. But, but isn't the goal to be under 7.1? I mean, if I have a goal in my mind, it's for my reading when I go to a Dr. Mulcahy to be <laughs> under 7.1, or do I have the wrong concept of a goal? Yeah, no, that is a goal, but you can be under 7 and still put things into your meal plan that you enjoy. It's all a balancing act, you know. Well, I probably have a wrong type of balancing act, but uh, <laughs> my balancing act at, when, I can, when I have some willpower, which isn't too often, is maybe not to have breakfast or not to have lunch. Is that a bad concept? That's a bad concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because your body doesn't save up. So you need energy throughout the day. So in order for you to, you know, get up and, and do your job and take a walk, your cells need energy. So if you don't eat food that turns into sugar and is made into energy, your liver is going to give you sugar because your body needs sugar. Um, if I wait all day and then I eat a big dinner, now my body has to break down all that sugar at once. So smaller frequent meals is definitely the better way to go. And it's going to keep me less hungry. So I'm not going to have as much of an appetite when I get to the end of the day. Well, it's interesting. I, I've been told that as you age, you definitely don't need as much in a, uh, food as you do when you're younger. So you can uh, eat less. Uh, is is that, do older people actually have too much to eat or is it the other way around? They don't eat enough. It depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I have some people that tell me they've really lost their appetite and um, we're looking at things like meal replacement shakes to try to get that person enough calories. Um, and then I have some people that just out of habit, they've been, you know, eating these larger meals and in their younger days, they may have done a lot of active things that help them burn it off. But now they might be older and they may not be as active and they're still taking the same amount of calories. And so we need to think of food as fuel. So what we're taking in, we need to burn off. So if I do a lot of sitting and watching TV, I don't need as much calories. I don't need as much energy. I don't need a lot of energy to sit and watch TV, you know. Uh, so getting more active would be a, a good key, you know. But sometimes as we age, if we are ill, we might be too sick to be as active as we as we used to be. As we used to be. Insulin. Insulin is a fairly expensive uh, medication. Uh, it's $145. Uh, I don't know how much that covers, but uh, it, 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 and there seems to be a debate around how much insulin should cost and how much the pharmaceutical companies are making because they're charging I mean, when I say it's $145, it's $145 after the insurance. Correct. After the insurance. So I don't know how much the insurance necessarily is paying, but it is a fairly uh, expensive drug. What's happening uh, in, in ways to reduce that cost for uh, someone on insulin? Mm. I mean, Unfortunately, not enough. Okay. 
Um, yes, this is a problem that I see um, almost on a daily basis. Uh, the cost of everything that's related to, to diabetes, uh, the cost of healthy food, uh, the cost of medications, including insulin. Um, the government is working really hard on trying to pass bills to reduce the cost of insulin. Um, I did hear them talking about, you know, capping insulin cost at $35, which would be wonderful, um, but I haven't seen that yet. Um, you're correct, a, a vial of insulin is about $500 if I was to 500? go pay out of pocket, yes, um, for like Lantus insulin. Um, so you really have to have some type of insurance to assist you. And a lot of times, like you said, it's still in the hundreds of dollars for an out-of-pocket cost. Um, so people who have commercial insurance can use coupons. Many of the, these manufacturers have coupons that you can go either go online or ask your provider for the coupon. And you, you call and you activate these coupons and it reduces your copay. If you have any state or government insurance, like Medicare or um, Medicaid, you cannot use coupons. Um, that um, there's reductions, you know, through Medicare and Medicaid um, that you're supposed to use, and the government doesn't allow you to use the coupons. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can still reach out to these companies, however, and um, apply for aid. Um, there's paperwork that you fill out with your doctor's office, and um, there is um, assistance for people as well. Um, and then I don't ever like to, you know, push one brand over another, but Walmart does have some low-cost insulins as well that are, are options for people um, that are older insulins, so they're, um, they don't have the same actions as the current ones do. Um, but sometimes when we're having financial hardship, their vials of insulin are like $25. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a quarter of sometimes the out-of-pocket cost for um, the newer versions of these same things. They also have low co cost versions of meters as well. Like you can get a Walmart meter for like $9 yeah. and much less cost for the strips if it's not covered by your insurance. Now, when you were talking about the meters, um, you, you can have uh, meters with your cell phone that can, that the meter captures the data of what level of blood sugar you have and you said uh, every five minutes it can give a reading and then it, it can go to a cell phone and then the cell phone can transmit it to your office or your doctor's office. Yep. But another alternative was that you could have a meter, uh, you could bring it to the doctor's office and they could download it, which is not very practical. Um, or you could have a, a meter and then some other form of way of sending that to the doctor's office? Yeah, so some of the new meters, the meters that you pick your finger with, um, have apps that will send the information to the doctor's office. There are some apps that you pick your finger, get your result, and you put your result into the app, and you can email or send those to whomever you'd like. Um, so definitely with technology, um, I've been doing diabetes for over 20 years, um, so definitely the technology in the past five or six years has really grown and allowed um, my patients to be able to send me their information remotely, which was very helpful during COVID when we were doing a lot of telemedicine and you know remote support for, for patients. If someone was struggling, before I would have to have them come in so I could see their data. Now, um, if they're connected to my office, 
I can just call them on the phone and bring up their data and we can look at it together and I can say, oh, I'm seeing that, you know, after dinner seems to be when your sugars are high. And then we can kind of explore what's happening at that time of day, look at what their activity level is like at that time of day, what their stress level is like that time of day, and what their um, food is like at that time of day. What are they taking in and how is that affecting them? And is there any adjustments that we, I never tell anybody that they can't have anything, but is there anything at that time of day that they could possibly adjust that then their body may break down a little bit easier? Um, sometimes it's as simple as my meal might be all quick, simple sugar. So I might be having, you know, watermelon with a sandwich that is white bread, and that's all gonna break down really quickly and increase my blood sugar. But if I have that same meal and I said, you know what, why don't we take away the, the sandwich and add something that has protein in it? Protein is gonna be broken down a little bit slower, and things that are high in fiber get broken down a little bit slower. So I can still have my watermelon, but instead of having my white bread, if I replaced it with whole wheat bread, that may break down a little slower and not hit my bloodstream as quickly and allow my body to process it a little bit more efficiently. So protein would be meat, it would be um, uh, peanut butter? Yep. What else would be protein? Then? Dairy is, so milk, yogurt. Uh, cheese? Um, cheese. In, interesting enough, too, uh, wine and uh, hard liquor uh, don't affect diabetes. No. <laughs> Is that correct? No. <laughs> That's not correct. That's not correct. That's not correct. I thought, I thought you could drink wine and you could have uh, uh, hard liquor and do us <laughs> on the rocks and it not affect your diabetes. I'm wrong? So... Um, you're correct about there being zero carbohydrates or sugar in your doers on the rocks. But wine is made from grapes, so it's going to have some carbohydrates. So I didn't say you couldn't have that, but you do have to kind of put that into the mix and look, because there is sugar or carbohydrate in wine. But not in hard liquor. Not in hard liquor. It's all what we put the hard liquor in. If you have it straight, it's zero grams of carb. Um, but if you put it in a juice or a soda, yeah. um, then that needs to be You have a watched. rum and coke that, a mixed drink is different than having it straight. Having it straight, but you could do a rum and diet coke. Yeah, yeah. And that would have zero carbohydrate. And yeah. carbohydrate is just a f another way of saying sugar. Carbohydrate is sugar and anything your body's gonna turn into sugar. They, they talk about two different types of sugar. One type of sugar is, is from the sugar cane, granulated sugar, and the other sugar is from like uh, blackberries or blueberries, uh, and, and they seem to indicate there's a, a difference in uh, how bad that sugar is or how good the sugar is. Is there a difference? There really isn't. I mean, sugar is sugar. People say like, oh, no, um, you know, high fructose corn syrup. It's just liquid sugar. So when it's in a liquid form, we can really um, add it to foods really easily, so it just tends to increase the sugar content. But your sugars are going to go up whether you eat jelly beans or whether you eat strawberries. Um, it's just, again, how much carbohydrate you're having at that sitting. So it's everything in moderation. Too much strawberries is going to make your blood sugar go up as well. But again, not that you can't have strawberries or you can't have jelly beans. It's just how much am I having? So you want to be a stoic. 
Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation, <laughs> yeah. Karen, what is the subject that I haven't brought up that you'd like to talk about? Um, I think you've been you've done a pretty good job with all of your topics. I think we've done you know pretty much everything, monitoring and oh you know what we didn't do the sneaky one exercise oh, and activity. <laughs> that is the one that most people like to try to forget. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I bring it up because it's so powerful with making your cells more sensitive to insulin. Exercise actually lasts for three days. And sometimes when people say, I hate the word exercise, then just use the word activity. The more you move, the more it's gonna help you process things and help bring those blood sugars down. And it's good for your heart and it's good for your mood. You know, so I think there's so many benefits to being active. Um, and there's so many different ways to be active today. So you always thought of like, if, you know, exercise at a gym. It doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, you know, now a lot of people have like Fitbits and watches that tell you how active you're going to be. And if you're sitting too long, they buzz at you and say, you know, get up and take a walk. Um, I think those are, are good things to have. Definitely don't want to overdo anything, but the more you can move, like if you, you know, go to a store, try to park as far away as you can, um, you know, different ways to, to move. There's different things online. Um, a lot of the local senior centers have things like chair exercises. Um, some of the local libraries have um, free programs that people can do, um, walking programs like silver sneakers to kind of get people out. Um, but like I said, the more you move, the more it's going to help you process your uh, sugars that you're eating. Yeah, the Franklin Senior Center does have cheer exercises. Not only that, but they do have an exercise room uh, with uh, bicycles and different equipment. You do need a doctor's uh, care uh, certificate before you can use it. Um, so uh, exercise you're defining as some sort of activity uh, to be a part of. So if you're a lo lot younger uh, and more in, in fairly good physical shape, uh, there are many, uh, uh, you can now climb walls at the gymnasium. <laughs> this so, is true, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, or, you know, one of, one of the things that um, you, you might want to consider, I love going on road trips. Uh, I was over Martha's Vineyard fairly recently, and and simply going on a trip, getting out of the car or, or walking around a new place, seeing the gingerbread houses and the tabernacle at at Martha's Vineyard. Uh, so exercise, you need to think, uh, not necessarily as you said, the gym. Hopkins State Park, what a beautiful, beautiful place! Beach. Yeah, what a beautiful. Uh, area that you can walk in, Ashland. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, bird watching sanctuaries uh, around this area. Uh, there's one in uh, Natick uh, by the Wellesley Line that actually you can go in, watch, try to see the birds, watch the birds exercise. So your definition again is some sort of movement to keep the body not resting. Yes. That is true. And if you're enjoying yourself, it's even better. If it doesn't feel like hard work. <laughs> right. It, it's so, try to combine that exercise with something else. Um, I play a lot of bridge, and in a lot of bridge, you're just sitting, sitting there. So yeah. 
you really uh, need to uh, overcome that. Uh, you might uh, have to take a few uh, extra strength Tylenol <laughs> times. Yeah. Is there any, Karen, is there anything else that we've, we've missed that you can think of? No, I think we've um, pretty much covered everything. Karen, how can they reach you or your office uh, if they wanted more information? Um, so we're located in Menden, um, right with the endocrinology office. Um, well, what's an endocrinologist to begin with? Um, it's a diabetes doctor, a diabetes specialist doctor. Okay. And we have two endocrinologists and a nurse practitioner um, that works up there. And I can um, give you the telephone numbers Please. so that you'll be able to um, yeah. display those for your, for your viewers. Well, can you give the telephone number now? Well, we have a number and then the endocrinology has a number as well. So if you want okay. both yeah. numbers, and I can you, provide those. And you those. don't happen to have the website, right? Um, MilfordRegional.org okay, so is can, the website. And they, then, they can go into MilfordRegional.org yeah. and uh, find out. Yep, and all the information will be there. And like I said, I'll give you both numbers as well so that you'll have that to display. Karen, are you available to do programs at senior centers or, or uh, in others outside of working in, in, at the Milford office? Do you have other outreach programs that you do? Yeah, so things have slowed down quite a bit with COVID, but we have done several um, senior center programs. Um, we do a lot of free community programs um, at the hospital that people come to. But like I said, with COVID, we've stopped that. Right. Um, we have done some um, Zoom programs and we have done some things that are on the Facebook page and um, Twitter from the hospital, um, you know, on eating healthy for the holidays. And we do a newsletter twice a year um, that has, you know, varied topics about diabetes that we um, drop off at like the Milford Library and the senior centers. Um, and it's also online on our website as well. So. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for you coming. It's been uh, a pleasure as well. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. Uh, this is Frank Falvey and Karen wishing you a very uh, wonderful uh, summer and time. And uh, we hope not to see you at her <laughs> office. And we hope you don't get diabetes. But if you do, please uh, replay this uh, program uh, and uh, reach out for an endocrinologist. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. This program was made possible by your Franklin friends and neighbors. Good folks, just like you. Thanks for supporting Franklin TV. And thanks for watching.